0: beyond nature. Are we naturally good or naturally bad? On this, great minds have argued for centuries. Hobbes believed that we have naturally a perpetual and restless desire of power after power that ceaseth only in death. We're bad, but governments and police can help limit the harm we do. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, to the contrary, believed That naturally, we're good. It's society and its institutions that make us bad. The argument continues today among neo-Darwinians. Some believe that natural selection and the struggles for survival make us genetically hawks, not doves. As M.T. Giselin puts it, scratch an altruist and watch a hypocrite bleed. By contrast, naturalist Franz de Waal in a series of delightful books about primates, including his favorites, The Bonobos, shows that they can be empathic, caring, even altruistic, and so by nature are we. T.E. Hume called this the fundamental divide between romantics and classicists throughout history. Romantics believed that man was by nature good and it was only bad laws and customs that had suppressed him. Remove all these, and the infinite possibilities of man would have a chance. Classicists believe the opposite, that man is an extraordinarily fixed and limited animal whose nature is absolutely constant. It's only by tradition and organization that anything decent can be got out of him. In Judaism, according to the sages, this was the argument between the angels when God consulted them as to whether or not he should create humans. The angels were the us in let us make man. The angels of Chesed and Tzedek said let him be created because humans do acts of kindness and righteousness. The angels of Shalom and Emet said let him not be created because he tells lies and fights wars. What did God do? He created humans anyway and had faith that we would gradually become better and less destructive. And that, in secular terms, is what Harvard neuroscientist Steven Pinker argues in The Better Angels of Our Nature. Taken as a whole and with obvious exceptions, we have become less violent over time. The Torah suggests that we are both good and bad, and evolutionary psychology tells us why. We are born to compete and cooperate. Life is a competitive struggle for scarce resources, so we fight and kill. But we survive only within groups. Without habits of cooperation and trust, we would have no groups and we wouldn't survive. That's part of the tarum, what the term means when it says, it is not good for man to be alone. So we are both aggressive and altruistic. Aggressive to strangers, altruistic toward members of our group. But the Torah is far too profound to leave it at the level of the old joke of the rabbi who, hearing both sides of a domestic argument, tells the husband, you're right, and the wife, you're right. And when the disciple says, they can't both be right, replies, you too are right. Well, the Torah states the problem, but it supplies a non-obvious answer. This is the clue that helps us decode a very subtle argument running through last week's parsha and this. The basic structure of the story that begins with creation and ends with Noah is that in the beginning God created a universe of order. He then created human beings who created a universe of chaos. The land was filled with violence. So God, as it were, deleted creation by bringing a flood, returning the earth as it was, At the very beginning, when the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He then began again with Noah and his family as the new Adam and Eve and their children. Genesis 8 and 9 is thus a kind of second version of Genesis 1 to 3, but with two differences. In both accounts, a key word appears seven times, but it's a different word. In Genesis 1, the word is good. In Genesis 9, it is brit, covenant. The second difference is that in both chapters, reference is made to the fact that humans are in the image of God, but the two sentences have different implications. In Genesis 1, we're told that God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. But in Genesis 9, we read, read, whoever sheds the blood of man, By man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God has God made mankind. The difference is striking. Genesis 1 tells me that I am in the image of God. Genesis 9 tells me that you, my potential victim, are in the image of God. Genesis 1 tells us about human power. We're able, says the terror, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Genesis 9 tells us, about the moral limits of power. We can kill, but we may not. We have the power, but not the permission. Reading the story closely, it seems that God created humans in the faith that they would naturally choose the right and the good. They wouldn't need to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because instinct would lead them to behave as they should. Calculation, reflection, decision, all the things we associate with knowledge wouldn't be necessary. They'd act as God wanted them to act because they'd been created in his image. But it didn't turn out that way. Adam and Eve sinned, Cain committed murder, and within the few generations the world was reduced to chaos. That is when we read that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he'd made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. Everything else in the universe was tough, good, but humans are not naturally good. That is the problem. The answer, according to the Torah, is covenant. Covenant introduces the idea of a moral law. A moral law isn't the same as a scientific law. Scientific laws are observed regularities in nature. Drop an object and it will fall. A moral law is a rule of conduct. Don't rob or steal or deceive. Scientific laws describe, whereas moral laws prescribe. So when a natural event doesn't accord with the current state of science, when it breaks the law, that's a sign that there's something wrong with the law. That's why Newton's laws were replaced by those of Einstein. But when a human being breaks the law, when people do rob or steal or deceive, the fault isn't in the law, but in the deed. So we must keep the law and condemn and sometimes punish the deed. Scientific laws allow us to predict. Moral laws help us to decide. Scientific laws apply to entities without free will, but moral laws presuppose free will. That's what makes humans qualitatively different from other forms of life. So, according to the Torah, a new era began, centered not on the idea of natural goodness, but on the concept of covenant, that is, moral law. Civilization began in the move from what the Greeks called physis, nature, to nomos, law. That's what makes the concept of being in the image of God so different in Genesis 1 and Genesis 9. Genesis 1 is about nature and biology. We're in the image of God in the sense that we can think, speak, plan, choose, and dominate. Genesis 9 is about law. Other people are also in God's image. Therefore, we must respect them by banning murder and instituting justice. With this simple move, morality was born. What's the Torah telling us about morality? First, that it's universal. The Torah places God's covenant with Noah and through him all humanity prior to his particular covenant with Abraham then later with his descendants at Mount Sinai telling us that our universal humanity precedes our religious differences. This is a truth we deeply need in the 21st century when so much violence has been given religious justification. Genesis tells us that our enemies are human also. All societies have had some form of morality, but usually they concern only relations within the group. Hostility to strangers is almost universal in both the animal and human kingdoms between strangers power rules as the Athenians said to the Melians: the strong do what they want while the weak do what they must. The idea that even the people not like us have rights and that we should love the stranger would have been considered utterly strange by most people at most times. It took the recognition that there is one God sovereign over all humanity or as Malachi points it, pu- puts it, don't we all have one father? Did not one God create us? It took that to create the momentous breakthrough to the idea that there are moral universals, among them the sanctity of life, the pursuit of justice, and the rule of law. Second, God himself recognizes that we are not naturally good. After the flood, he said, "'I will never again cast the ground because of humankind, "'even though the inclination of their minds "'is evil from childhood on.'" The antidote to the yetzer or what rabbinic Hebrew calls the yetzer HaRa, the inclination to evil, is covenant. And this has a neuroscientific basis. We have a prefrontal cortex, evolved to allow humans to think and act reflectively, considering the consequences of their deeds. But this is slower and weaker than the amygdala what jewish mystics called the nefesh abahamid the animal soul which even before we've had time to think produces the fight or flight reactions without which humans before civilization wouldn't have survived the problem is that these rapid reactions can be destructive often they lead to violence not only violence between species, between predator and prey that's part of nature, but also to the more gratuitous violence that is a feature of life of most social animals. It's not only that we do evil. Empathy and compassion are as natural to us as a fear and aggression. The problem is that fear lies just beneath the su- surface of human interaction, and it can sometimes overwhelm all else. Daniel Goleman calls this an amygdala hijack. Emotions make us pay attention right now. This is urgent and give us an immediate action plan without having to think twice. The emotional component evolved very early. Do I eat it or does it eat me? Impulsive action is often destructive because it's undertaken without thought of consequences. That's why Maimonides argued that many of the laws of the Torah constitute a training in action in virtue by making us think before we act. So the Torah tells us that naturally we're neither good nor bad, but have the capacity for both. We have a natural inclination to empathy and sympathy, but we have an even stronger instinct for fear that leads to violence. That's why in the move from Adam to Noah, the Torah shifts from nature to covenant. From Tov to Brit, from power to the moral limits of power. Genes are not enough. We also need the moral law.